Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. He makes all things new, and we follow him forward, right? Are you following forward? Putting the, putting, putting the past in the past, following Jesus Christ forward, moving in Christ and with Christ? I really hope so. I trust that this morning. And I want to just give you a a friendly reminder, if you want to move forward in a great way this new year, be a part of that uh, catechism class that was talked about this Wednesday. Great opportunity to move forward in Christ and with Christ. And if you've never experienced that, I encourage you to be a part of that class. It's really an excellent, excellent class. This uh, Wednesday at uh, 7 p.m. it starts along with all of our other Wednesday in the Word classes. But that one is a bit special and would really encourage any, if you haven't been there, to uh, be a part of it. And even if you, you have, and you know what I'm talking about, to renew yourself and Uh, make a better effort to move forward. That'd be wonderful. We're moving forward. We've started up something here. I I hope that you're with it. Those of you who maybe weren't here last week or you uh, missed some of the pre-announcements in December, we're reading through the Word of God together this year as a church. I'm glad for it. So many of you have responded with positive, positive, excellent messages of encouragement. I'm glad we're doing this. So glad we're together on this. This is going to give me an opportunity to talk in my class or at home. And it really has. It really is a good way to uh, get discussion started. I hope that in your own family or with the uh, people that you are are in your circle, that you have been able to do that even this week, that you've been able to talk about what you have read, because we're doing this together. And if you haven't, if you haven't begun, if this is new to you this week, what's he talking about? I'm just talking about God's Word, and that we would all jump into it together. We want to read through the entire Bible this year, and we can say as a church, all of us, Together, we have accomplished something from Genesis to Revelation. We've completed God's Word. If you haven't begun, start up. I encourage you to start up. It won't take you long to catch up. That week that we've had, you can pick up uh, the plan, you can look at it, and you can catch up very quickly. You can go to our website, yourbcc.org, and right at the top it says one year. Just click on one year. You'll be able to see from January 1st on, and continue along tomorrow. It's a five-day plan, Monday through Friday, so on the weekends you can catch up if you need to. You can just reflect. I encourage you to to maybe uh, start journaling, writing questions, write down notes, things that uh, pique your interest, things you haven't seen before. As you read through God's Word multiple times, I'm always picking up something new. And it's wonderful to be able to note it, look back on it, and see that, hey, God struck me with that when I was reading. So if you haven't started writing some notes, take the opportunity to do so. This week's reading, it's in your bulletin. You can pick right up, too. We're going to continue that throughout the year. So you'll always have the week's reading right in front of you. And I'm looking forward to it. What did we cover last week? If you 
read through with us. We did 15 chapters of Genesis. We did three Psalms. We read the first five chapters of Mark. In those first 15 chapters of Genesis, it was wonderful to look back and be renewed in creation, to see how God created, be reminded of his creative power and his force. But also, we're reminded of the sad thing very quickly in Genesis, the fall of mankind. Sin enters the world. It's the dilemma that we all face. Sin affects uh, all of us. And then the effects of sin were seen so quickly in Cain and Abel and the drama that unfolded with jealousy and murder. And then the ever-increasing rise of wickedness in man's heart, right? And then Noah and the great flood. After the flood, the population again begins to uh, blossom and grow. And once again, there's trouble. So God confuses the language. And then the beginnings of God's chosen nation, his people. We begin to read about a man named Abram. We hear of his calling by God, his travels, the episode in Egypt. That's one, that's one that always gets me thinking. Why did he tell Pharaoh this, his wife was his sister, and why was he so frightened? It's an interesting, interesting passage. And then Abram split with his nephew Lot, and then he has to rescue Lot from the shepherd kings. There's a lot of action unfolding in those first chapters. And then Genesis 15 there's a covenant, a blood covenant God makes with Abram. And what does he promise? He promises blessing. And he says, hey, you're going to have innumerable des descendants. If you can count the dust of the earth, you'll be able to count your, your descendants. If you can count the stars in the sky. And he uh, promises land for this great nation that's going to come out of this one man, Abram. And in that last chapter of Genesis... In that last chapter that we read, not the last chapter of the book, but the 15th chapter, there's one of the most memorable lines about faith that's in the Word of God. Genesis 15, 6, Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that is something that is not only noticed when we read the New Testament writers took note of that line. The New Testament refers to the faith of this man, Abram, who, we, who later is going to be called Abraham. And that faith is presented as the faith uh, that's the forerunner to faith in Jesus Christ. The New Testament writer Paul and Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, the writer of Hebrews, they all express this faith, this faith that's credited as righteousness, but they add something to it, something better, something new, and it's Jesus. Jesus died a sacrificial death on the cross to pay a debt for sin because he who knew no sin, Jesus, by faith, when we believe in that, he is our righteousness. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Your faith in Christ, your faith in his sacrificial death on the cross makes you righteous in God's eyes. And that's amazing. 
We sung about that today. Crimson stain of sin washed away by Jesus' sacrificial death. There is a, there's a great deal to that kind of faith, and it begins, it's alluded to right there in that Old Testament book of Genesis. So I hope you're seeing so much in the old that points to the new. So much of those first 15 chapters of Genesis point to Christ. And you're going to find as we travel through the Old Testament, it all points to Jesus. We also read Psalm 19, which we talked about in depth last week. We covered Psalm 104 last week. I hope you saw how it paralleled the flood. And then Psalm 148, all about praise, all about praising God and creation praising God, which is also somewhat parallel to Psalm 19 that we read. Then the New Testament. So you read the first five chapters of the book of Mark. And that's uh, where I want to spend some time this morning in this gospel of Mark. And some of you might ask, why Mark first? Uh, Oftentimes people have said, you should read the gospel of John first, or maybe another one. Why Mark? Well, I'll offer you a few insights or reasons as to why Mark was selected to be read first. Well, first of all, it's the earliest gospel. It's the gospel that was first written, and it's fast-paced. It's action-packed, and it's the shortest gospel. Mark or Matthew and Luke add details to many of these incidents that are given in the book of Mark. Mark is less detailed, but he gives us this action. He moves from, from scene to scene quickly. And if you're, you know, we are a fast-paced society. This ought to just fit right in with us. You know, we're, you know we need, what, a 22-minute program that's got the rest of it, commercials or whatever, and, I mean, it's got to be moving fast, fast, fast. This is Mark's gospel. I think he was way ahead of his time. From scene to scene to scene, the action unfolds, and then the other gospel writers gave us more detail. So, in a sense, Mark is foundational. When you read Mark and then you follow up with Matthew or Luke, you see, oh, hey, there's that same incident, but now I get a few more details. And Mark, he presents things really uh, very plainly. The human frailties of the people around Jesus, he minces no words about it. He's not trying to water down uh, mistakes and questions and doubts, and especially of Jesus' disciples. And this is something that I know I can relate to, and I hope sometimes you can too. Things like doubt and things like mistakes. Uh, this is... This is the human condition. We do make mistakes, and uh, this allows us then to relate when we read about oh, these followers of Jesus. Well, they weren't perfect people, and neither are we. So I can relate, and I can draw something out for my own life. Mark opens his gospel immediately with Jesus entering his ministry, the baptism of Jesus, then his wilderness experience, And then immediately, in the first chapter, you read, Jesus went out preaching repentance. He began healing people, casting out demons, and he's teaching with authority. And then there's sort of the troublesome aspect of Jesus to the 
to the hierarchy of the Jewish religion. Jesus is defying the laws of the established Jewish legalistic religious hierarchy. People known as the Pharisees, or as you read through uh, the Gospel of Mark, he says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. These are the leaders of the Jewish religion. Jesus seems to be defying what they're teaching. He was disrupting the religion that had been founded over 2,000 years earlier by Abraham. You read in Genesis, you read in the early uh, parts of this religion being formed, God had selected Abram and he begins to unfold covenants. And these things have been organized now and codified over these uh, couple thousands of years. And now they have all kinds of forms and customs and practices that have been well established and well accepted. And now they're overseen by this uh, highly trained leaders called the Pharisees. And Jesus is defying this. This is some pretty bold behavior by a, a, a man who's called the carpenter's son. Who did he think he was? And who were his followers? Well, they're not the trained Pharisees. They're not the people that, that could be called the teachers of the law. They haven't been schooled in all of this. In Mark chapter 1, who did you read about that Jesus first called? Well, it wasn't. He didn't go to the, the local university. No, he, he went to the sea. And he called fishermen. You read about Simon and Andrew and James and John. Common fishermen. Well, already I'm intrigued. Jesus is talking to the common person. Then in Mark chapter 2, Jesus calls another man. He's called Levi and Mark. His name is Matthew, too. We know him as Matthew. He said, hey, come follow me. A tax collector? How could Jesus call a tax collector? That's a sinner. And then he's even more disruptive. Jesus, you read, goes to the synagogue. Through those first five chapters of Mark, you'll read about the synagogue several times. This is where the religion was practiced. This is where the doctrines were taught. Multiple times you read, Jesus goes in to the synagogue and he's making a scene. First, he's teaching with authority. He's putting to shame these teachers of the law and the Pharisees. He's teaching with authority. He's amazing to people. He's confounding the leadership. In the synagogue, he casts out demons from possessed people. He's frustrating the leaders. He heals a man in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Well, now the Sabbath day, that's supposed to be the day of rest. You can't do any work on that day. Jesus, that's work. And you're breaking the work rules. In the fifth chapter of Mark, you read about another incident with the synagogue, but now it seems the synagogue is starting to take a little bit of notice. It's the synagogue leader. After all this disruption and miracles and such, well, it's the leader of the synagogue. His name is uh, Jairus. He comes to Jesus because he has a daughter who is gravely ill. Well, he's take, taking note of some of the miracles of Jesus. And Jesus, he's got compassion. He goes to Jairus' house, but he only finds his daughter has died. She has died. But what does Jesus do? He calls her back to life. He brings this little girl 
back from the dead. All of this, this is just the first five chapters. This man, Jesus, he is turning Judaism on its head. Someone new has arrived on the scene, a startup, and now what? Should they dare accept him? Should they follow him? Or would it be better to refuse him? Is he just a flash in the pan? Should they reject him and stick with the, stick with the, uh, the status quo, the way things go? It seems that's the way for the great majority when something new that's difficult to understand is introduced in life. The great majority says, hold on, I'm sticking with the status quo. I like it. It's comfortable. Don't give me something new. And in our day and age, that's pretty easy to relate to because there's something new happening all the time. And it happens fast now. 20 years ago, 20 years ago, did anyone think that electronic commerce would be such a force to be reckoned with? One of the biggest e-commerce companies was just a startup a little over 20 years ago. The Amazon startup began in 1995 in a garage. In 1997, this little company, Amazon, it went public, and it has fueled, along with others, an enormous electronic commerce boom. Forbes magazine wrote an article about the uh, revenue for the electronic uh, commerce for this holiday season in 2017. Now, just for the United States. And they didn't talk about millions of dollars or even hundreds of millions of dollars or even a few billion dollars. The electronic commerce for a holiday season 2017 in the U.S., $107 billion. That's a lot of cash. Is it any wonder that the brick-and-mortar stores are struggling? They're closing down? Those who didn't accept the rise of the Internet and electronic shopping, they are paying a price and closing down stores. And that's just one example. It's a simple one example of so many uh, new technologies that have affected us all. I never, I, I can't remember the last time I put a stamp on an envelope because, well, I just used the bank bill pay. I wouldn't have thought that not that long ago. The bank will actually send my check with my stamp to whoever I want. It's a great thing. I love it. Why people don't embrace that? I don't know. Some are frightened. Ah, the bank will have all my information. They've got it anyway. I mean, Equifax gave all our information away anyway. Let me tell you, your info's out there. You know, these technologies, they're not all good. I'm not saying that. But many of them are. And if we don't accept them and move with the change, we might have some difficulties. And you know, there's changes on the horizon, too. There's this thing called blockchain technology. I don't know if you heard of it. It spins my head a little bit, this blockchain technology. It's this uh, distributed network that forms an incorruptible digital ledger of transactions that can be programmed to record not just financial transactions, but virtually everything of value. And it's 
incorruptible. It can't be controlled by a single entity because it's this distributed thing. No single point of failure. No more mistransactions. It's impervious to human and machine error. Now, all sorts of companies, they're, they're interested in this. They want to harness this thing called the blockchain technology. And it's the backbone of this new kind of money. It's been invented specifically for what's called a cryptocurrency. And it was invented for the first one, which was called the Bitcoin. The blockchain technology was invented for this thing that's an intangible currency. You can't see it. It's got no intrinsic value. You can't touch it. It's just really a serial number set out there in space. But a few years ago, who would have thought? A few years ago, you could get a Bitcoin for less than 10 bucks. January 1st, 2018, 15 grand. Now, I don't know if that Bitcoin thing is here to stay. I don't know. But it seems like the technology behind it is. And big companies are talking about, hey, we're going to use this. We're going to harness this distributed idea and, you know, so nothing will get lost. And what's the point of it all? When something new comes around, it's easy to just simply dismiss it because we don't like it. We don't like change. We like the status quo. It feels good. But it's not always the wisest thing to do. Sometimes having a bit of an open mind and receiving something new is the best thing to do. Consider what was happening in Jesus' early days. I mean, major disruption to the religious people. He was radically different. Jesus was this startup, and he was, he was turning the legalistic religious establishment upside down. Should we have an open mind and listen to this guy? Or not? Let's look at an example a little more in depth from last week's reading in Mark chapter 2. Now, just before this account in Mark 2, and I've already mentioned about Levi, also known as Matthew, the tax collector, just before this account, Jesus has called the tax collector, Matthew. And Matthew had a great party at his house. Well, here this great teacher who's turning things upside down has said, hey, follow me. And Matthew has willingly dropped everything and he said, yeah, I'm going to go after this guy. I think he's got something to say. I think he's for real. And Jesus, along with Matthew and the rest of his guests, they're criticized. Why is this guy eating with the sinners? What's up with that? Tax collectors and sinners, they didn't like it. And then this, then this in Mark's gospel, Mark moves now, again, the scene changes. So the scene changes from Matthew's festivities to Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. And so let's uh, read those again. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, as long as they have him with them. 
But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Jesus is once again criticized for what he's doing. He had been hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors. Why he gets picked on? What's he doing? Why is he hanging around with the sinners? And now here, he really isn't doing anything. It's John's disciples. And it's the Pharisees. They're fasting. But Jesus now gets picked on for neglecting that. He's neglecting one of the ways of spiritual devotion, fasting. And there's something interesting in this criticism, though. To this point, and in many others that you'll read, those who complain about Jesus have been the leaders. They've been identified as teachers of the law, Pharisees. In this passage, it says something just a little bit different. It says some people came and asked about fasting. So it might be, it seems, that this is a sincere question. It's not a trap. It's not a gotcha question. It's a sincere question from people who really want to know. They're wondering, hey, are you for real? And if you are, what's happening here? John the Baptist and his followers, they fast. The Pharisees, they fast. Well, why not you? Why not your followers? You know, after all, really, think about it. Moses, Elijah, Daniel, Esther, Ezra, they, they all called fasts. And so many others in the Old Testament that set this religion, this Judaism, into to the form that it was. They fasted. This was a way that they were devoted to God. Now, John the Baptist is following suit. Now, the Pharisees are following suit. Jesus, are you not as spiritually devoted as they are? That seems to be the implied question here. So Jesus takes the opportunity now to teach. And he answered as he often did with an image. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? Jesus invokes this image of a wedding celebration, a party, which in his day, it was a prolonged, days-long festivity. This was not the time for fasting, this was the time for feasting. This was the time for celebration. Not a time uh, to give up something, a time to take in something. This somewhat rec recalls to me the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time to every purpose under heaven. It seems that Jesus is saying something along these lines. And he's letting these people know you're missing something here. You've got your time wrong. You're not discerning the season. The season is going to change, he said. There will come a time when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. This isn't going to last forever. Then on that day, they will fast. And it's interesting that Jesus referred to a bridegroom. It's not difficult to see that he's referring to himself as that bridegroom. And anyone who knew the Old Testament which would be most of those around because 
They're Jews. To any who knew the, the Old Testament and that God referred to himself as a husband, I'm sure this reference that Jesus made to them would stop them short. It would be a bit stunning. Maybe they recall Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. Your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. Is Jesus calling himself this redeemer? Is Jesus saying that he is this husband? He's referred to himself as the bridegroom. And in essence, he is. He is making a divine pronouncement. So don't be living in the wrong season. Don't miss what is happening in the present. You might be missing something vital. If his questions have, if his questioners, those, those with the Inquisition here, if they've missed the point, Jesus moves on to make the point. And he emphasizes it twice because he has two more images that he's going to present, both with the same point. Both with this point. Don't conjoin the old with the new. It's not going to work. So he gives this image first of a torn garment. Don't mend it with new cloth because that cloth is going to shrink and it's going to tear the, the garment you're trying to fix. And you're going to be worse off than when you started. That's an image we can all understand. Did you get a new sweater for Christmas? Did you accidentally throw that new wool sweater in the dryer? I've done that. <laughs> it comes out, you know, just like doll size. Okay, I've got to give this to a baby now. I mean, seriously, it shrinks five, ten sizes. That happens. We understand that picture. We understand this. If you're going to take and patch something up, make sure it's compatible fabric. It's not going to shrink away and, and rip at what you're trying to fix. And then Jesus gives this image of wineskins. Now, we don't use wineskins, but Jesus' audience would have understood this. Now, wine was a staple of the region, and the making of wine was not unfamiliar to them. The juice of the grapes was freshly uh, pressed, and it would be uh, put into a big leather bag that they called a wineskin, and they tie it shut. But the fermentation process would have already begun, and it began quickly, and it would produce gas, carbon dioxide. Now, if, you, if you've got a bag that's sealed up and carbon dioxide's forming, it stands to reason the bag's going to expand like a balloon. And th that was the case. The leather bags would expand like a big old balloon. And in order for the wineskin to be able to withstand the pressure, to hold in the expansion, it had to be elastic. It had to be new. It had to have some elasticity to it. And everyone in his audience knew, if you put that fresh grape juice into an old, stretched-out wineskin, it had no more elasticity, and it would explode. And you'd lose your wine, and you'd lose your wineskin. And what sense is that? So Jesus gave these two images, the new and the old patch, the new and the old wineskin, to emphasize the old and the new in these cases are incompatible. And that's the point. Jesus has come with something new. 
And it's incompatible with what they were doing. It's incompatible with the old. He brought something new to be celebrated. He is called the common man. He is called the sinner. He is called the disenfranchised. Not that they should be accepted as they are, but that's something to celebrate. That's something to understand. That Jesus is, is going for people that have been that have been neglected by the current religion. They've been neglected by the leaders. But Jesus isn't saying just accept them as they are. No. He said they should repent. That is the quote from the first chapter of Mark's gospel. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's the first quote of Jesus that Mark puts in his gospel. The first record of the words of Jesus Christ in his gospel are the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus isn't calling these common people, these tax collectors and sinners, and saying, just stay as you are. No. He's saying, come to me. You need to change. You need to repent. But I'm not going to be heavy-handed on you. I'm not coming down like a hammer on, on an anvil. No, he's coming at them with love and understanding that that change needs to take place, and it may not be instantaneous. You know, those who have accepted these words and the teaching of Jesus, they aren't clinging to this rigid, legalistic, pharisaic Judaism because it didn't work. Jesus had said to the complainers at Matthew's party, it's not healthy. It's not for the healthy that I've come, and it's not for the healthy that need a doctor. But I've come for the sick. I've come to call not the righteous, but the sinners, but the complainers. They didn't realize they were sick too. They needed this new and this better way that Jesus was offering. But they were sticking to their rigid, self-absorbed, stubborn way. They didn't want to see it. You know, their rules of the external, their rules of fasting, all these Sabbath work rules and all the minutia, it missed the heart of what Jesus was telling them. You know, so many tried to hold on. And the New Testament writers over and over and over again talked about this. They wrote about it. Still trying to hold on to this old way. Still trying to hold on to these old rules. Still trying to earn your righteousness. Over and over, the apostles, those who wrote the letters, made this point. The old isn't sufficient to make you righteous. Jesus presented a new way. He presented new ethics. And those holding on to that old, they were missing out. They were, they were living in the wrong time. They missed the time and they missed the season. Jesus was more than a startup. He was going public. And he offered a new covenant to all, to everybody. And he's going to ratify this covenant in his own blood. See, Jesus made a, a reference to his sacrificial death there, right there in Mark chapter 2. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. Jesus is pointing to the cross. They didn't know it then, but we know it now. He was pointing to the cross. 
His time was limited and he knew it. He knew the season was going to change. And he mentioned that it was going to change. The bridegroom's going to be taken away. He's going to seal this covenant in blood because the covenant required blood. Recall from your reading in Genesis, the blood to God, it's special. In chapter 4 of Genesis, the blood of Abel, it didn't just, it just didn't absorb into the earth. We read that the blood of Abel cried out from the earth to God. And then in chapter 9, in chapter 9, verse 5, what did God say to Noah? He said, for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. And from each human being, too, he's going to demand an accounting for your lifeblood. And then in the earliest of the covenants we read about in Genesis 15, in Genesis 15, verse 9, you read about God's covenant with Abraham, and he had to seal it with blood. And he said, Abraham, go get some animals. Get a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. Why? Because I'm, I'm going to spill the blood. We need the blood. The new covenant that Jesus brought was sealed in his very own blood. It was the only blood that was required. No more animals, no more sacrifices needed. He spilled his blood for sin, every sin, my sin, your sin, all of our sins. The gospel, the good news of the, of the cross of Christ, it can't be fenced in by the rules of this religious, legalistic establishment. Jesus said, repent. He said, repent, and then he showed love. It was a new fabric meant for a new cloth. It was a new wine meant for a new wineskin. We got to be that cloth. We got to be that fabric. We've got to be that wineskin. Not clinging to some old notions. Not clinging to some old way. Not holding on to the way that we think is going to make us righteous before God. No. No. We've got to be the new fabric. Jesus died this sacrificial death on a cross to pay a debt for sin. He who knew no sin took our sin. And any who by faith believe that Jesus Christ did just that, he becomes your righteousness. That's the new covenant in his blood. And he was pointing to that when he said, you can't put the new wine into an old wineskin. The bridegroom's going to be taken away. So is he someone to accept and receive or reject and deny? He's someone to accept and receive because his blood has accomplished much for us. We share that today. We share that today as we sit down at the table of the Lord. We're going to share communion. And we're going to renew that covenant, that blood covenant that Christ made for us. I want to ask our deacons and our elders, if you would, prepare for our communion. As we share this today, this is open to all who are in Christ. All who have made that commitment. All who have said, I believe it by faith. Like Abraham, whose faith was credited to him as righteousness. And any and all 
who believe that Jesus died for your sins, we know he, he makes us righteous before God. We have to believe it, we have to accept it, and we have to do what Jesus Christ preached, which was repentance. From the very first page of the first gospel, the first quote of Jesus, I'm preaching the good news of the kingdom, repent. It means turn. It just means turn from your old way. Turn from your old way. Receive the new way. It's not difficult. It's not hard. It's not going to change your life to make it worse. It's actually going to make it better because eternal life will be granted to you. This is what Christ was all about. These early chapters of the gospel have just really introduced it. He's turned the old on its head. And he's offered such a grand new way. Now, they didn't know he was pointing to this cross. They didn't understand or realize that at that point. But Jesus Christ knew. He knew, he understood the plan that he was coming for, and he did it. He did it voluntarily for every single one of us. Let's remember that as we receive the bread today. I want to also remind you that the bread, when you receive it, hold it. And if you have small children with you, not come to this point, please uh, have them refrain until they can come to a point where they can truly confess Jesus Christ with your heart. And if you haven't made that confession, you can do it now. You can repent now and say, yes, I want this. I believe it. I want to turn. I want to be like those fishermen who went after Jesus, like that tax collector who realized it and dropped everything. Turned away from his life of cheating people to follow Jesus. That's repentance. It's just turning and leaving that old behind. You can do that this morning and join us in this communion. I want to give you this reminder from the Apostle Paul who told us what we should consider as we receive the bread and we receive the cup. He said this in his letter to the Corinthians. Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Take that to heart this morning. If you're holding on to something, if you're clinging to an old way, you know, a way that you feel is uh, going to... Uh, 
keep you righteous, a form of religion, of some tradition, and it's missing the heart of what Jesus came for. Think about that today. Think about that today as you, as you hold this bread. Consider it. Discern the body of Christ rightly. Take a moment right now to do what the apostle has asked us to do and examine yourself. Look inside. And then ask God to help you be right and repent. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to examine ourselves. God, as we look deep in our hearts, we ask and pray that you would reveal anything that has hindered us from our walk with you, anything that we need to turn from and leave behind. God, if we're hanging on or clinging to some old form of religion, ceremony, or legality that we think is going to help us better conform to the image of Jesus Christ, God, I pray that you would help us to leave that aside and that we would see Jesus and his heart. God, I pray that we would be people that are right with you. And forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, your word says, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we receive that cleansing now before we take this bread. And we thank you for it, God, in Jesus' name. Now, as we hold this bread high, God, we ask and pray your blessing on it. We pray your blessing on it, God, as we remember the sacrificial death that Jesus Christ died for us. If there's any in this room, God, who have for the first time made that commitment or said, I, I want to be like the tax collector or any of the others that followed Christ, they repented and they turned. If any have done that today, God, receive them. God, and bless this bread to them. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Thank you for the covenant that you made. Jesus, thank you for breaking your body for us. We honor that today. We remember it today as we receive this bread and we eat it together in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's hold this cup up as we ask God's blessing upon it. God, we hold this cup, which represents the blood of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The blood that he spilled on Calvary on the cross to save us from our sins. The blood that makes us righteous as we believe on it. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for the, the, the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask, God, that this cup of blessing you'd bless unto us. That it would be a reminder of our covenant, God. The covenant that we made when we repented of our sins and said that we would turn and follow him. May we be reminded of it, Lord, and never be neglectful of it knowing that he sacrificed it all. He gave it all for us. And we want to receive that. God, we want to receive it. We want to be washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ and reminded and renewed in him. Renewed and moving forward, walking forward in him. Thank you for that, God. Bless this cup unto us as we receive it with joy in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to leave with something today. I want you to take away some things from what I've talked about. And... First of all, I just want to emphasize, it's not go invest in the Bitcoin, all right? I'm not giving any investment advice here. I use that as an example. That was not something that you, you just 
consider your consider what you, you do very carefully. But there's some other things I want you to take away, serious things, things uh, about what we're doing here, things about what I've talked about. You know, first, we're going through the Bible together. We're going through God's Word together. Now, as you go through this, His Word this year, and you come to your reading, don't come to reading His Word with your mind already made up. Don't come with it already in your heart, what you uh, believe with such precision that you might not be altered by God's word. Don't be so determined that you will not change. You know, we learn some things sometimes, but we advance and we grow and we learn deeper things and we can see things differently and truths in God's word and I'm not saying that you're, 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 you should be open to walking off the pages of the Bible or, walking, or, or receiving uh, you know, some strange teaching. No, I'm, I'm asking you to have an open mind and an open heart to receive more of the truth in God's Word. And don't, don't come to it with a closed mind or a closed heart. Be willing to be taught. Be willing to be expanded. Be willing to have your ideas challenged and even changed if they don't conform to what the Bible is teaching. And then you'll be like that new wineskin. And you can expand. Number two, don't think that forms and ceremonies of religion are what it's all about. They're important. Yes, there are times. Things like what we do today and we sit down at the Lord's table but don't be so conformed to it and, and, and the legalities of it that it makes you narrow. If you have a new life in Christ, it's going to expand beyond all of the, the form and all of the tradition and the ceremony. You don't have to depend on them, but in Christ, rather, you would desire them. Our motivation to live for Jesus and to, to follow his ways are the love of Christ in our sincere and contrite heart. And number three, remember that the new life in Christ is just that. It's new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Spiritual maturity, spiritual growth and development requires the pruning away of the old habits that admittedly die hard. The human condition is that our, our habits, they, they don't instantaneously change. I'm still working on pruning some of them. But my life is new in Christ, and your life is new in Christ. Let the fabric of your life conform to the fabric of his. And be willing to expand and, and be willing to expand and allow him to bring you new challenges. Allow him to bring you new opportunities and see them as just that. And expand with him and expand in him. Take those things away with you as you go today. And before you go, I'd ask that you would just 
take a dollar or two, pass it on down the aisle. It is something that we do. For those who are having tough times, it's cold out, some, some have difficulties with heat bills and such, this goes to our benevolence fund and it helps others who are in need. A dollar or two that you have for this goes a long, long way and we have used it many times to help those in need. And it's a great, great blessing to all of them. Our ushers will receive that. And stand, if you will, and let's close, with a, let's close with a prayer and a blessing. And ask God to just help us to not only be renewed, but to continue to be new in him. Continue to be pliable, stretchable, expansive, and allow him to do all of that in our life. God's ways are sometimes, sometimes they're perplexing. Sometimes they're exciting. Sometimes it seems like he's even turning things upside down. But Jesus is all about, he's all about love. He's all about receiving us with love and, and acceptance, not under that heavy hand of, of the legalism that he was so, so against. Let's pray. Let's pray as we go. Father in heaven, God, I just ask and pray your blessing upon this great, great congregation, this great group of people. Lord, as they leave today, that they would leave with that newness refreshed in them. Lord, understanding Jesus was more than just a startup. He was here for good. He was here forever, and he was here for us. And he brought in a new covenant that's new and everlasting. Thank you for that, God. May it be something that resounds in us and resonates in us this week. Help us, God, to continue to walk in your word. Lord, help us to know your word and to live your word. And then find opportunities to spread your word. God, as we learn it this year, newer and deeper in us, Keep that refreshing in front of us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. And now I just ask a blessing on all that are here. And if you want to raise your hands for blessing, Father, I just ask and pray that you bless and keep all who are here. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance upon each one and grant them peace. And may the peace of God that passes understanding keep every heart, keep every mind, keep every soul through Jesus Christ, our precious Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go this morning.